0: You have your Bibles. We'll be in John chapter 10 and verse 22, where we were last week. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one there um, near you on the pew. I want to just give an announcement for next week, as most of us realize, is Father's Day. And we are going to take a short break in our series that we've been doing called Soundly Saved. And I'm going to bring uh, a message to the men. Uh, one of my pastor friends listens to our podcast on a fairly regular basis and offers some uh, good critique. And one of his critiques was, Jeff, you really need to get married, bro. That's all I can say. Like, right, what are you talking about? It's like all your illustrations have to do with like war and martyrs and like, and your sermons, everybody dies. Like, you need to get married and have some kids, you know, and puppies and happiness and love and illustrations. But I just want to, next week, ladies, I'm just going to address the men. Uh, we're going to look at the battle cry of a man from the Old Testament, um second, Samuel chapter 23, the story of Shammah, one of the most hardcore, one of the most Rambo-esque figures in the Bible. Everyone else fled. I don't want to start preaching it because we'll never get to our text today. But he stood his ground in a field of lentils. Incredible, incredible message. So guys, I hope that you can come. Um, and if you, if you know other men, uh, that need to be in church, please invite them. I worked construction for a short time in, uh, with a man who worked in Dallas, and he had had a background in prison. And he told me, he says, I never go to church on Father's Day. This man had been saved, and I said, why not? He says, it seems like on Mother's Day, the pastors just say, the ladies are perfect. Then when it comes to Father's Day, it's just boot in the face. Now we tried to be biblical for Mother's Day. We looked at Proverbs 31. We addressed things such as gossip. We tried to be biblical. Men are not perfect. Women are not perfect. So guys, I want to... Y'all okay? It got really quiet in here. I mentioned that. I was like, whoop! You know, you can hear the flies talking to each other. But, uh, but what we're going to do, guys, I hope it's an encouragement to you because... Uh, As you know, there is such an assault hood upon just manhood in general today in the West. I mean, it just, it just is. If you're a dude's dude, you're a chauvinist. And if you're, if you're on the other end, then, then you're, you know, borderline, uh, wuss. And so like, how, how, how do, how do, I mean, is it okay to be a Christian and still like quote unquote guy stuff? Like, how do I unpack my manliness within Christianity? So we're gonna, we're gonna look at that next week and I just hope that you're, um, able to come for that. So this is part two of addressing the question, what the Bible has to say about this. Can you lose your salvation? Can you, if you get saved, do something or not do what you should do that will cause God to take away what He has once given you? Last week, we looked at it from the direction of all of the main verses that people use to say that you can lose your salvation. And what we examine, those verses in context, and they do not say that you can lose your salvation. So today we're going to take the Ford approach. We're going to be back in John chapter 22. And um, we've got a lot of notes, okay? We've got a lot of content. It's there on your bulletin if you want to take notes along with that. So we're going to try to use every moment that we have to address questions and to walk through the Scriptures. So some of this is going to be fast. Um, this is time to put on your thinking cap if you are a note taker, which you should be unless you can remember everything, um, you're going to be able to jot some stuff down hopefully quick. Let me give you a statement before we read the text. Adrian Rogers said, when we are confident of the future, we can concentrate on the present. When we are confident of the future, we can concentrate on the present. And some of you have been or you may still be in that place to where you are wondering if you have done something to lose your salvation or if it can actually be lost. And you want to serve the Lord, but you're kind of like in a in a Christian-esque twilight zone. You don't know, you don't know if you're saved, you don't know if you're lost. It's kind of like God is holding up the proverbial flower and saying, I love him, I love her, I love him, I love her not. And it's just like, we think, well, I've got to do more in order to stay saved. It's not the case at all. Let me give you a question. Uh, Some people will say, Jeff, I know myself. I know myself. When I get saved, I'll probably do something and end up not following through. And I hate hypocrites, so I would rather stay where I am and not be a confessional Christ follower and avoid risking falling back into what I know I'm capable of. Most people say, Jeff, I know myself. If I step out of that and during that invitation, I let everybody know I'm ready to commit my life to Christ but then I know the next couple of weeks, I, I may, there's a huge possibility I'll be doing the same thing. So, so I, I would rather just stay where I am, stay, you know, just on the fence or on the other side and not get saved. Here's what I would say to you. God knows you far better than you know yourself. God knows what we think before we're going to think it. God knows what's going to happen before it happens. God knows, here's the thing. When we read the Bible, it's a genuine offer of salvation. Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall what? Help me out church. Shall be saved. So God is not giving that with an asterisk. So God is saying, look, I know you. I know what you're capable of, but here's the question. If if you're, if you're thinking, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite because I may slide back. Do you believe that God is stronger than you are? That's the genuine question. Do you believe that God's grace is stronger than your old lifestyle? Because if you say, well, I don't want to step forward because I may be a hypocrite. What you're saying is that my baggage is too heavy for him to lift. And there's nothing too heavy that God can't lift and take away. So I don't care what you have done in your past. This morning, Rocky Mount, Virginia and Franklin County, the God of the universe is telling you through His Word that He can cleanse you of whatever you've done. That's what I usually think too. But, when you look at the sacrifice of Christ, it is sufficient for everything that we've ever done wrong. That means the person that it has the I mean the most messed up, twisted, perverted, selfish, prideful, arrogant, filthy heart can come to Jesus and be like, I can't do anything with this. I have tried. And I can't. Boom. That's what it is. Boom. And once you once you realize and you verbalize to the Lord, God, I can't change this. I can change what I do. I can start going to church on Sunday, but I can't change my heart. Save me, Jesus. It's at that point that the holy God of the universe will change your life. When you give it to him and allow him to do it. Instead of thinking, I'm so bad, I've done so many things wrong. That is nothing more than pride. Because what we're saying... I'm trying to drive this into the ground, but I'm trying to make it clear. What we're saying when we say, I don't want to step forward, is we're saying that, God, I don't think you can save me. When it says nothing is impossible with you, that may be true other than myself. God can change you, and once he does, he will keep you. Look at the text, John 10. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them, what's it say? Eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It's pretty clear. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and notice the repetition here, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So Jesus is telling these people, I've already demonstrated to you who I am. It's kind of like Jesus is saying, okay, if, if raising dead people, if healing people with incurable diseases... If there's someone who, who drags themselves on a mat and they've never walked before in their life, and I tell them, get up and walk, like, if that's not evidence to you that I'm not your average Joe, and that I'm from God, I don't know what is. And notice what he says there. He says, you do not believe. Let me give you a statement that we looked at um, uh, before in regard to unbelief. Unbelief is rebellion against evidence that we cannot or will not accept. Unbelief is... Kicking at a stone we understand all too well. Sayeth Elmer Towns, alright? And brother Elmer's gonna live, I don't know. If the Lord comes back a couple hundred years from now, Elmer Towns will be there still teaching a full load of classes at Liberty University. If you're not from Liberty, that makes no sense, but he is a hardcore man. So, the point is like, when you, when you disbelieve, some people are like, I don't have enough evidence. There's a word for that and it's called hogwash. If you really want to know the truth, and you really begin to search, I tell you, what, I've just been blown away. The past few years, I've been had to put in classes to where we study like a program. Right now, it's basically like this: Okay, go find the most vile, hardcore, God-hating atheist and read all of their stuff. That'll bless you, right? And then find out holes in the arguments and if there's any way. And I just want to say, I am not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But at this point, having studied a lot of these uh, pseudo-scientists and these philosophers who try to convince us that God doesn't exist, and uh, this is my response. Is that all you got? I'm saying, like, on, on the PhD level, I'm reading this stuff and I'm like, seriously? And I'm flipping through the book, like, well, where's the argument? And close the book. I'm like, it's a joke. Atheism is an absolute joke. Agnosticism is a refusal to step forward based upon the evidence. And what Jesus is saying is that it's not an issue of whether I don't give you enough evidence that I'm real. The issue is that you're not one of my sheep. In other words, you're not born again. Main idea of this text, we're driving home today. It's there in your. In your worship guide. We can't get saved by good performance. And we can't stay saved by good performance. We get saved and stay saved by grace. Amen? That seems to be so basic. But I hope for just a moment That we could just take ourselves out of our our American, our Virginia, Franklin County mindset of where we may have gone to church or known of church. There are people in the world that have been raised in religions where it's all about what you can do. If you told them about grace, they would say, that's impossible. That someone else who doesn't even, I've never met, has done something that could be credited to my account and all I have to do is receive what they did. Who would do anything like that for another person? We say Jesus. That's why we send missionaries into the world. To let the world know what a lot of people here don't know is that you can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough. That's why Jesus came. And notice what he says here, that you are my, speaking of believers, you are my sheep. In verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they what? Some of y'all got your Bibles and they what? And they follow me. That means, for a true, genuine believer, we walk to the beat of a different drum. We just do. That's why, if we are serious about following Jesus, even in a churched area, all right, people are going to think that you may be a wee bit weird. Especially if you if you if you not just go to church, but you begin to follow Jesus, like if you begin to read about missions and you begin to like on your job. Like I know some of y'all, we got really cool pens. That was awkward. We've got these really awesome, if you want a Rocky Mount Baptist Church pen, it is awesome. We've got the coolest pens in the city. Some of y'all just go give out pins. Some of y'all give out flyers. Some of you invite your friends. Some of you sit down with family members like you try to share the gospel. That's at the point where people are going to think you're weird. I'm sorry. You know why? Because our culture says this. Culture says, well, that's good that you go to church and you love Jesus or so you follow that. But the minute that you begin, and they use this word, to impose your beliefs upon another person, that's when you're stepping over the line. Someone ever tells you that, say, look, I'm not trying to impose anything on you. I'm trying to tell you about Christ. I'm just trying to share my views. And when you share the gospel, the seed uh, will take, it will take root. So, number one. The way that we know that we get saved only by grace is because of the nature of the recipient of us and that we are willful unbelievers. Jesus says in verse 25, I told you and you don't believe me. Number two. We know that we can only get saved through grace and stay saved through grace because of the nature of the giver, which is God's holiness extending grace to the unbelieving. He said in verse 28, I give them eternal life. So He's saying, I. He is other than us. God is not just a man. God is the creator of everything. Okay, So so here we go. We've got God, and, and He gives... When you give a gift... If it's truly a gift given, it is a gift given out of the goodness of your heart. We're not talking about, about Christmas. You're know, like, what do I buy again? You know, it's like, we, I mean, we've got stuff. I mean, do we buy more stuff? Do we buy a card? iTunes gift card? I don't, I don't know. Like a thank, I, I just, and it's one of those things where we just, it's kind of, if you don't do it, it's just weird and not that anybody really cares, but you just buy stuff anyway. And then 10 years down the road, we have a garage sale. And then our neighbors come buy our junk. And then when they have a garage sale, we go buy their junk and resell it. That's the way that the undercurrent of stuffism works in America. But when you just out, I mean, just just nothing before just give something. It is an act of grace. And what does God give? Jesus says, I give them eternal life. Now that means that people who are physically alive but who are not born again are not truly alive in the fullest sense of the word. I know our culture love, like, is, is obsessed with zombies. Right? Like zombies and zombie apocalypse and their shows about the walking dead. And some of you old schoolers you know, remember the night of the walking dead and you didn't sleep for like four days after watching it. I mean, the concept here is that Jesus is saying that if you are saved, you're truly alive in this sense you have the life of God within you, you know why you were created, and you can live for that purpose. Which means that if you're not saved here today and you're living for yourself, you're basically your own God, meant what happens is you begin to get so depressed and so self-centered that you just like give up on life. Jesus says, I came to give them life and that they might have it more abundantly. Charles Stanley says about salvation, that if we get saved by grace, but we have to stay saved by works, he says, salvation is not a gift, but merely an opportunity. And at this point, some of us feel that we have to impress God. Have you ever been to that crossroads in your life to where you know that you desperately needed a life change? God, I need, I need you. And all of a sudden, you, you begin to try to just impress God. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I've t- said this before, I love kids. Can I get an amen from the normal people in here, right? Like, I, I love, sorry, if you, that's fine. If, anyway, I just offended a lot of people. Okay, like, I love children. Children, I mean, you can talk to kids about anything, and one of the things that I, I so love about kids is that they're so honest, right? I mean, a kid will come up if they've done an art project and be like, look what I drew. It's a giraffe, you know, and you're like, really? Like you don't say that, but like it doesn't match up. But they just they just want you to think that they've done such a good job. And in love, you you know, you give the kid a hug or a high five and say, wow, you keep up the good work. You colored in the lines, and they're like, oh shucks, you know. And they just they like they love that. They want they want to be approved. But sometimes I think that's the way that we are, right? God says, "Look, the only way that you could ever be saved is if I save you." Seriously, this is not this is not a a mutual a, a dual contract here. It's you allow it, just just give your life to me. I'll change it. And we're like, God, look at my drawing, and He's, I mean, look, look at my good works. I went to church. I actually started reading my Bible. I mean, I pulled it off the dust or, or the, the the nightstand, and there was like an immediate dust storm in my room. But I got an, a fan, open up the window, and now I'm reading. It. Isn't that awesome? It's like a little kid coming to world-renowned scholar saying, "I just drew my ABCs." Doesn't that intellectually impress you? It doesn't? It's cute in a sense for kids. When we begin to try to show off all of our good works to God and think that somehow we could warrant His forgiveness, it turns very, very dangerous. Because the moment that we begin to think that God approves of us because of something that we've done or something that we have not done, we are going into the area that says, God, I can do what you say that only you can do. Let me give you several metaphors after point number three. For eternal security, which means... And, and this is a very... We're going to try to unpack this, this term. It does a lot of damage. But once saved, always saved. I, just, I hate saying that because it's got so much baggage. We'll try to unpack it. Number three, we know that we get saved only by grace and we stay saved only by grace because of number three, the nature of the gift... The gift that Christ gives us is eternal life from the everlasting God. Notice in verse 28 and 29. Notice if you've got a pen or a highlighter, highlight these terms. They gives them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given to Me is greater than all. Which means that My Father's hand cannot be unpried or pried open by someone else. And no one is able to snatch. Them out of my Father's hand. Let me give you another verse. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen, church. That means that God doesn't start projects and get project-oriented ADHD like some of us do. Have you ever started a project? That you were so passionate about, but then maybe a month into it, you're like, this was more work than I thought it was going to be. I remember I bought a, uh, a Suzuki DR350 1996 model dirt bike. Several years ago, I was waiting for a, a wild amen from our motorcycle crowd in here this morning. But I bought it and it was not in running condition. I said, I'm going to get this thing up and running. I've done it before with a friend. I love motorcycles. I love speed. I don't know what it is that I'm attracted to things that could possibly kill me, but it's just the way that I'm wired. So I just, I thought, man, with a 350, it's just going to be awesome. And, and, and but then I, I began to work more than one job. And then I began to get home late. And I would have to study for the other job. And long story short, I had the bike for over a year and a half. And then finally mom comes in and she does what sweet moms do, but they do so in a very forceful manner. They say basically, get your junk out of my garage. You're either going to fix it and get it running or you're going to sell it. So guess what I did? I sold it. Because if mom is not happy, then... You know the rest of how that goes. But sometimes I think we can think that God is that same way. And He's not. Let me give you a biblical metaphor. Number one would be sealed. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. The Bible says, you mark this down, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. What that means, and this is, this is something that doesn't really make sense in our culture so much, but back then, if they had something that was very valuable, something that could not be touched, they would place a seal on it. Let me give you a quote from Henry... Main, who uh, taught at the University of Cambridge about what the ancient people in the Roman Empire understood about seals. Because I know that you all came to church today wanting to know what Henry Main had to say about seals. But this is very informative. Y'all okay today? Alright, here we go. We may observe that the seals of Roman wills and other documents of importance did not only serve as the index of the presence or assent of the signatory... But were also literally fastenings that had to be broken before the writing could be inspected. In Matthew chapter 27 verse 66, it says, So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. When the Bible says that when Christ saves you, it's saying that we are sealed. Let me give you another text. Revelation chapter 5, verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? This was huge for the hearers in the first century. When they understood the word seal, they understood this. Only the king or someone proper can open this seal. But what did Jesus just tell us? No one can take you out of my Father's hand. And if the Father has given us eternal life, then He's not going to take it away. Because if He took it back, it would not be what eternal life. Somebody says, "Oh wait, wait, Jeff. What if I could like wiggle out of God's hand? What if I could? What if I could crawl out? If you can get that." From this passage, there's no telling what you can get from the Bible. I mean, I've heard some crazy interpretations in my life, but what you're having to read into that is that we can somehow, through our sin, that Christ is stronger than, we can power out of God's grip, which Jesus says is impossible. So that only the King can break the seal and the Lord has told us that He will not break it. Ephesians also chapter 4 verse 30. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now right there, it's saying that our sin, the sin in the life of a believer, can grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, it will produce something within God to where it grieves God. He doesn't want us to sin, but it says that we are therefore, the day of redemption. Which means once He saves us, He saves us totally and completely. Number two, adoption. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Adoption means that God has adopted me as His child based upon His grace alone and He will never, ever disown me. Also, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4-7, through 7, the Bible says, For when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. The concept of adoption in the first century of the Roman Empire was this that if god or if you were adopted under the law, you could not be disowned isn't that good news today. Remember Russell Moore um, was telling about uh, him and his wife went to Russia to adopt uh, an orphan. This child had been in a, in a pathetic Orphanage. Dirty. Didn't get the proper nourishment that the child needed. He said that when they picked up that boy and they brought him out of the hospital, never been brought out, the only thing that he had ever known was what most of us couldn't even conceive as life. Since they brought him out He reached back with his arms and began to scream for his old life. Because it was something new. Russell Moore made the point that we have been adopted because God is good. We have been adopted through His grace. He will never disown us. But sometimes the Christian life can get uncomfortable. Does it for you? Where God begins to stretch us into new areas that we've never been to cause us and help us to do things that we have never been able to do before. And then sometimes we begin to desire to go back to what we were once in. Adoption is not conditional. It is unconditional. Also, there is a, another term that causes a lot of theological debate, and we have just a few moments to open the can, and hopefully, by the grace of God, to close it. It is the subject of election and/or predestination. I've captured this with this statement: God cared and provided for me long before I ever thought of Him. If you have your Bibles, please go with me to Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-eight through thirty. Romans chapter twenty-eight. Chapter 8, excuse me, verses 28 through 30. The Bible says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Verse 29, it gets very interesting. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So this goes before we were even born. Verse 30, And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. That means that called is when you were there and you heard the Gospel, right? And you knew that you needed to get saved. He called you. Then at that point of conversion... God justifies you, and with and those whom He justified, He also glorified. Which means that one day we'll be in heaven with Him. Verse thirty three: Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Another text: Ephesians chapter one, verses four and five. The Bible says, "Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love." He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Adrian Rogers said this, What is foreknown in heaven cannot be annulled by hell. Amen, church? Whatever is foreknown or predestined in heaven, it cannot be annulled by hell. You say, Now hold on, Jeff, let's just start real quick. It almost seems like God is just I mean, like there's there's no human response. It's kind of like God just does things and well, how do we how do we take those verses in the Bible that tell us to repent and believe in Jesus when it speaks of Jesus adopting us? You know what it means, all those verses that tell you to repent and believe upon the name of Jesus Christ and you will be saved? It means that you must repent and believe the name of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Are we okay this morning? This is a huge theological issue. So you say, Jeff, what is your position? I preach all of those verses. I don't know if anyone can totally, 100% understand. How all of that fits together. If you do want to know more about this, we covered this in three weeks. Three solid sessions on a Wednesday night. The notes, all of the audio is up there. But you don't find anywhere in the Bible to where God is saying, you simply just sit back and wait for the warm fuzzies to hit you. The Gospel calls us to come. The Gospel calls us to commit. I have this in your notes. The most important question of this whole study. What must I do to be saved? Acts chapter 26 or, or chapter 16 and verses 29 through 31. Remember the story? Paul and Silas were there in prison. They had been beaten. They had been tortured. And it was kind of like before Elvis, it was jailhouse rock and God broke all of the chains. They fell from the prisoners hands and their feet and everyone was going to escape. And then the jailer fell down and he said, sirs, Now, this is the same guy who oversaw their torture. Think about that. Just a short time ago, he was overseeing their torture. And now he falls to his knees and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said in verse 31 of Acts chapter 16, Believe or trust in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Wow! See, so Jeff, how, how do I... I mean, I, I want to be one of those who is saved. How do I know about all the adoption? Here's the thing. If you repent of your sins, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Amen? You don't have to go your life wondering, well, am I going to be one of the ones who's going to be saved? Did God not uh, adopt? Here's the thing. If you believe in the Gospel and you receive it and you repent of your sins, you are one of the adopted ones. Amen? The Gospel never says that it's simply you sit back and, well, if God really is going to adopt me, He's going to do something. The Bible says to believe and confess and repent and He will change your life and He'll save you. Jesus Christ is awesome. And if we realize that, if we grab a hold of that, we would be changed people. We get saved and we stay saved through grace. I heard this from a pastor. I thought it was a great way to put it. Here's the story of Noah's Ark. God didn't say, guys, go take a course on zoology and go and wrangle those elephants and get them in. God brought the animals. God put the animals in the ark. Then when Noah and his family were in the ark, does anyone remember who shut the door? God shut the door. And they were safely within the ark because of what God had done. They believed, they trusted, placed them in the ark. And once they were there, they were safe from the destruction that was coming. Notice that God did not say, drill pegs on the outside of the ark, and because you've got to work your way into this thing, I want you to start doing the ancient version of P90X. I want you guys to get really strong, get really ripped out and fit, and you've got to hang on! To the ark. You've got to do like an extended pull-up exercise. Because if you mess up and you let go, you're drowning, buddy. It's not the way it went. They were safely within the ark. And when you come to the point to where you place all of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you are safely within Him. And that one day when the wrath of God is poured out upon this planet in the Great Tribulation, or if we go to meet Him before that happens through death, the wrath of God will have been absorbed in Jesus Christ. And you are safe within the ark only because it is by grace that we get saved and it is by His grace that we stay saved.